Welcome to the podcast of Redeemer Baptist Church of Panama. We hope that you enjoy the sermons and other audio provided by us. Feel free to share what you find here, and we hope that it will be beneficial to you as you seek to know and follow Christ. If you would turn in your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 3. Matthew chapter 3. We'll begin in verse 1. Um, as uh, I think I've already said, we're, we're in a series now on Matthew. It worked out perfectly. We did chapters 1 and 2 during the Christmas season. So um, dealing with the, the announcement of his birth, his uh, genealogy, the magi coming, and all of those things uh, in the infancy narr- narr- uh, narratives. And now we've come to... Um, right at the beginning of his ministry. Um, I'm just kind of giving you a a look forward to where we're going here. Um, uh, As we're continuing this series, um, I have already preached a series through the Sermon on the Mount here at Redeemer. So um, once we finish chapter 4, we're probably going to skip the Sermon on the Mount just to let you know in advance. If you'd like to listen to the messages for the Sermon on the Mount, uh, maybe someday I'll do that again. Uh, but for now, um, you can check those out on our website. Uh, we host them on both YouTube and SoundCloud. So, all right. Well, um, today we're looking at John the Baptist. John the Baptist was the forerunner. Uh, Ron read from the scripture where um, Isaiah prophesied that there would be uh, someone who was crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. And that is the relationship that John had with Jesus. John came before Jesus and he was preparing the way. He was the voice of one in the wilderness crying out, Prepare the way of the Lord. He's coming. The the Messiah is finally coming. He is here. Um, In the book of Malachi, it prophesied that before the Messiah would come, uh, that uh, Elijah would return. And uh, in um, uh, Jewish circles today, whenever um, uh, they talk, I mean, they do expect a Messiah to come. They don't believe he was Jesus, uh, but they... um, um, they still look for the coming of Elijah before this Messiah would would come. Um, Now, Elijah is not John, uh, but he was asked the question, are you Elijah? And he said, no. And yet Jesus was asked, is John Elijah? And he said, well, um, he didn't say yes. Uh, but he was the one who fulfilled that prophecy. He was the one who would come uh, to fulfill this person who was the spirit and the power of Elijah uh, announcing that the Lord was coming uh, as the Messiah. Let's go ahead and read our text beginning in verse 1 of chapter 3. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken by the prophet Isaiah when, it, when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Now John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locust and wild honey. 
Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him. And they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the wrath to come. Bear fruit in keeping with repentance, and do not presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid at the fruit, foot at the root of the tree. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, for the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Your word is a lamp to our feet, a light unto our path. You give us life. You restore our soul by your word. Father, I pray that you would give me strength and give me grace as I preach your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Matthew begins, in those days, John the Baptist came preaching. In those days seems a little bit strange to us because we just left off when Jesus was just an infant, right? Um, we shouldn't take these, this phrase, in those days here, uh, too literally. Uh, it's not a, a strong connection there uh, to the time there because Jesus was still an infant as we just left off. Uh, instead, we should understand that just uh, in, in those days, uh, kind of generally, um, uh, kind of more thinking back whenever Jesus' ministry first started. Uh, in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Uh, then we're, we're thinking of this man who's called John the Baptist. John the Baptist was not, uh, contra what many people heard uh, uh, in, in the older days, uh, John the Baptist was not the first Baptist. We're Baptist Church, okay? Uh, he was not the first Baptist necessarily, but he was the one who was baptizing. Uh, he gets his name from the activity that he was doing that was different from what other people were doing. He was John the Baptizer. He came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Uh, he, was, he didn't come to the cities to proclaim that the Messiah was coming. Instead, he went out away from where everyone was and people were going out to him to hear what he had to say. He came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and what was his message? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. This was the same message that Jesus began preaching when his ministry started here in the very next chapter. It's also the same message that the apostles preached as they went out, as Jesus sent them out two by two 
Um, in the other Gospels, it says they were preaching that same message, to repent. And what does it mean to repent? To repent means to turn around. The Old Testament word uh, is, the, is the word for just turning from one way to another. It's a 180. And in the, in the New Testament, the word there, the Greek word, it means a change of mind. So from both of those ideas, we're changing our mind, we're changing our heart, we're, we're changing from one way of looking at the world to another way of looking at the world. It's, it's, a, it's a radical shift. Um, repentance uh, is, is not just um, changing the way we do things. It is, uh, you know, we're going to stop doing the kind of sinful things that we used to do, yes, but it's also a change of mind uh, where, where we, we, we uh, embrace a new way of looking at the world. Um, before we come to Christ, uh, we are centered on ourselves. We are centered on doing what is in our own interest, in our own benefits. And when we come to Jesus, we lay all of those things down and we look to Him. He is what's going to satisfy us. He is what is, uh, is where we find life. We, we, we go from enjoying and loving the sinful things that we used to participate in to realizing this is all just worthless and it is leaving me empty and I hate it. And we turn around and we now love the things of God. We now love to read His Word, to fellowship with Him, to spend time with Him, to get to know His people and to encourage one another. We begin to exhibit what's called the fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control. We go from a world uh, where we were dead in our trespasses and sins and we are alive to Him in Christ. And... Paul, or not Paul, John here was preaching out in the wilderness, repent, turn away from what you were. Turn away, you know, the, Jesus hadn't yet come on the scene. Jesus hadn't yet even died on the cross. But Peter, but John, I'm sorry, John was preaching, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of heaven is at hand, the kingdom of heaven is near. And what does he mean by this kingdom of heaven? The other Gospels use the phrase kingdom of God. In Matthew, instead of say, saying kingdom of God, it usually uses the phrase kingdom of heaven throughout the rest of, of the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew is probably using that Jewish convention where uh, they're... they're They're not using the, the name of God. They're not using the word God out of reverence for who He is. Instead, He says heaven. So the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven are the same thing. And the Old Testament prophesied that there would be a time when God's kingdom would come and be set up on earth. And what, what uh, John was saying was, it's now, it's about to happen. It's ready. It's, it's time. You don't have time to wait. Right now, now is the time to repent because His kingdom is coming. Right now. And then verse 3, it says, For this is He who was spoken by the prophet Isaiah when He said, The voice of one caught crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make His paths straight. John, Matthew here is telling us that John is the fulfillment of of this prophecy from Isaiah. 
I would also say he's the fulfillment of the prophecy from Malachi, which I had uh, pointed out just uh, while I was introducing things. Verse 4. Now John, he was a strange character. If you watch The Chosen, uh, any of the episodes of that, they call him Creepy John. (laughs) John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist. So he dressed weird. He dressed in a way that was uh, uh, strange, but it was also kind of similar to the prophetic uh, outfit. It's the same way that Elijah would have dressed uh, back in the days of the kings. Um, this, This camel hair garment and this leather belt around his waist. And it says that he ate locusts and wild honey. Wouldn't you like to live with him out in the wilderness? Locusts and wild honey. Locusts were one of the foods that were clean, according to Leviticus. They were, they were permitted to eat. And if you don't have anything else to eat, locusts are edible. Um, now, I have heard that if you have an allergy to shellfish, you should not go around eating uh, locusts or, or cicadas or anything like that because uh, uh, the, the allergy to shellfish would be... Uh, Comparable to that. Whatever it is in shellfish is also in locusts. So. But they're edible for most people. Um, and, and they were clean food. And wild honey. He, he didn't have to go to the store and buy what was cultivated by, by uh, domesticated bees. Instead, he just waited on God to provide for him. He ate locusts and wild honey. He probably dipped it. Right? <laughs> Dip those, make those locusts taste a little bit better. He was a strange character. He was a spectacle. And people were coming out to see him. Verse 5, Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him. Does that mean that every single person in Jerusalem, Judea, and and the surrounding region all came? No. Not every single person, although it does say all. It means there were people, lots and lots of people. It seemed like the whole city wasn't the whole city. It wasn't every single person. But it was so many, it seemed like they had the whole city out there. Uh, people from Jerusalem, Judea, and all around the Jordan were going out to him. He was out in the wilderness. He was out in the lonely places. He was out... Um, there was water there, we know, because he was baptizing people. He was out in the wilderness of Jordan. But, but he was out going away from where all the people were. You would think that a person who had this great message to preach would go to the cities and he'd be proclaiming it there for people to hear. But that's not where John went. He went to the wilderness. Let's just think about that for a minute and reply it to our situation here. God hasn't placed us in the middle of a metropolis. He's not placed us in downtown St. Louis. He's not placed us in New York City or Chicago. He's placed us here in Panama. We may be out in the wilderness. <laughs> we may be, in a way, out in the wilderness. And John was such a spectacle as he was preaching, repent, that the people all came out to see him. Let the Word of God draw people here the way the Word of God drew people out to John the Baptist in the wilderness. 
Just think about that. Now John wore... I already read that. And, um, And they were baptized by Him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now this brings something new. We already called Him the baptizer because He was... The Baptist, because he was baptizing people. Um, where did baptism come from? You look at the Old Testament, it is not something that was required by the law. You don't see baptism in the Old Testament. There were different ritual washings of different kinds, but you don't see what John is doing. It seems like what he is doing is something brand new. People were all coming out. They were they're coming out to see him because of the spectacle he was. They were coming out to hear him as he was preaching this message of repentance. And they were coming out to be baptized by him in the Jordan River. Well, baptism, I've talked about this before, baptism, the word means to dip. Sometimes it's used as washing, like sometimes the the word is used whenever the disciples were washing their hands or whatever, but the primary meaning there is to dip. In fact, uh, in classical literature, uh, Greek literature, the word baptizo is uh, for a a ship to sink. It'd be pretty hard for a ship to sink by sprinkling, right? (laughs) But instead, uh, the ship sinking, it goes under the water. Um, and uh, John was out there baptizing people. He was putting them under the water in the River Jordan as they confessed their sins. A couple of things here. So where did this idea of baptism come? Again, uh, it's not in the Old Testament. We do, from archaeology, get the idea that, that, that sometime, at some point, um, Jewish proselytes. That would be people who were Gentiles who wanted to become Jews. Um, We know that circumcision had to take place, but also some appeared to have this this baptism that was also a part of uh, going from being a Gentile to being accepted as a Jew. Um, And if that's the case, then what John was doing was pretty radical. He was out there proclaiming that all these Jews needed to be baptized and become Jewish. Does that make sense? They didn't really have the God of the Bible. They need to be baptized to really be accepted as a part of God's people. That's a really strange kind of thing for John to be doing. They were being baptized by him in the Jordan River, confessing their sins. They weren't merely coming to be baptized. They were also confessing their sins. That's a sign that they were doing what John was preaching. John was preaching repent. And so what did the people do in response? They were confessing their sins. Each one of us, when we come to know Jesus, when we are born again, we confess our sins to God. We agree with God. To confess, uh, you know, it, it means to, you know, to, to admit it, yes, but we're agreeing with God. God said before we, were, before we were saved, we stand justly under the wrath of God. We deserve His punishment. We deserve to go to hell because of our sins. And when we confess our sins, the word means to agree with. We are agreeing with God that that is what we deserve. 
We are confessing our sins and we are throwing ourselves at his mercy. They were coming out uh, into the the, uh, wilderness to see John. They were confessing their sins. They were naming their sins. Other people could... uh, uh, You can imagine what, uh, what people must have thought as these people were coming out into the wilderness and saying all the sins that they've committed. People that were standing around were thinking, what, you've done that? No, because they were all coming out to do the same thing. They were confessing their sins. They were being baptized... Now, when I do a baptism, I explain baptism represents the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Now, Jesus hadn't yet done that. So John's baptism represented something different. What he was doing is when they confessed their sins, they were being washed away. Christian baptism, what, they, what the apostles practiced after Jesus rose from the dead, does. And Paul talks about it in those terms. Baptism represents the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. But here, uh, what John's baptism did, it was, it was pointing to the fact that they were being forgiven because they repented and turned away from their sins and they were confessing them. Verse 7. Here comes the, the conflict. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? You, you know, the, the Sadducees, they were, they were an, elite, an elitist group. They were, they were from the high priestly class. And these, these groups, they were like political, uh, ideological parties. The Sadducees, uh, they were, they, like I said, they were, they were uh, elite. They were probably pretty wealthy. And uh, they were from the high priestly cast, class. And they, they accepted uh, what the early church teachers said was that they accepted the, old, the, uh, the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, but didn't accept the rest of the Old Testament. But also, uh, we know from the book of Acts, they did not believe in a resurrection or an afterlife. They believe that when we die, we go into the ground. The, fact, the Sadducees believed that, and they believed um, that God's blessing was all about our obedience here in this life and this now. They, they, they may, have, may have been uh, the liberals of these two political parties. Then you've got uh, the Pharisees. They were really, really, really strict about keeping all the law. They did believe in an afterlife. They did accept all of the Old Testament. And um, uh, they were actually probably closer to Jesus' teaching than the Sadducees were, which may have explained why they had so much conflict. They were closer in what they believed. Um, The Pharisees, uh, they would have been good people. We would have wanted Pharisees as our neighbors because they were so meticulous about keeping the law. And yet, John saw right through that. The Pharisees and the Sadducees, while they were different ideological parties, they had one thing in common. They were trying to find a righteousness of their own. They were trying to find their righteousness in themselves. And they were falling short. John says, when he saw many of the Pharisees and the Sadducees coming out to his baptism, they were coming out to him. They left the cities. 
They came out to him in the wilderness, probably because they heard about this spectacle that's out there. You would think maybe John would welcome them and say, hey, yeah, you need to be baptized too. But no, it's not how he responds. He says something pretty rude to them, actually, doesn't he? It's not a welcoming way to, to receive them. He says, you brood of vipers. What's that mean? A brood would be a nest. It would be the offspring of vipers, snakes. Is this starting to sound familiar? From Genesis chapter 3. The seed of the serpent. Seed of the woman. What uh, John is basically telling the Pharisees and the Sadducees as they're coming out is he's saying, you're not children of God. You're just the seed of the serpent. You brood of vipers. You seed of the serpent. He's telling the Pharisees and the Sadducees, those religious professionals, the ones who were meticulous about keeping the law, he's saying, you're nothing but a bunch of snakes. And he says, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? If they were coming out to see John, they must have thought. John says, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance and do not presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. I think this latter part makes sense in the fact that John was calling them a brood of vipers. He was calling them the seed of the serpent. That there had been this conflict with, from Genesis 3 on, a conflict between the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent. These Pharisees and Sadducees were going to be the enemies of Jesus as he came onto the scene. They were representing the seed of the serpent that were opposing the seed of the woman that was coming that was going to crush the serpent's head. And they said, we're the seed of Abraham. We're the children of Abraham. What John is telling them is, don't depend upon your physical line of descent, but instead upon repentant hearts, fruits of repentance. What that applies to us is to say, we cannot depend upon growing up in a Christian family. We cannot depend on the fact that we grew up in a Christian family, that grandma and grandpa were Christians. We cannot depend on any of that. Our salvation is not in a pedigree or a family tree. Our salvation is when we repent of our sins, repent of everything we were, and turn to Christ. Do not presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. That didn't count for anything. I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children to Abraham. Adam was made from the dust of the earth. He he formed Adam out of the ground and breathed life into him. And in the same way, God was able to make stones into people and they could be children of Abraham. Though they weren't born in the natural process of everything, because the true children of Abraham were not by physical descent, but they were by faith. By faith in God's word and in his promise that he would send a seed of the woman. 
John then says, Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. He's warning the Pharisees and the Sadducees, if you don't repent of your sins, if you don't uh, have fruit that, <coughs> that uh, results in a changed life, then they can't count on their physical descent in order to save them. That God's wrath is coming with, with His kingdom and that they would be wiped out with unquenchable fire. Now let's reflect on what we have seen so far in this text. John was the forerunner. He was coming to prepare a way for the Messiah to come on the scene. He, oh, almost left left out a passage. My eyes skipped. Anyway, verse 11. I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He says, you're coming out to me to be baptized by water, but someone else is coming later. Someone else is coming later, which we're going to talk about next week. Jesus is coming. The Messiah is coming. And the way John compares himself to Jesus who is coming is that he's not even worthy to be able to untie his sandal. Not able to to carry his sandal. He's not worthy of being able to do the things that even only a slave would do. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. I think we see that on the day of Pentecost as the, as the Holy Spirit comes on to the uh, um, apostles and the disciples that were there presented at the, at the day of Pentecost. The Holy Spirit came down. We see these tongues of fire. And that's when Jesus baptized his believers, his disciples, with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into his barn. The chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Here, I think, while John is preaching it, it sounds so much like Jesus' parable of the wheat and the tares. In... uh, Jesus' parable, there's a sower goes out to sow seed and the wheat grows up, but some enemy had come in the middle of the night and sowed weeds along with the wheat. They grow up together. And And the servant asked, what should we do? Should we go out and pluck up all the weeds? And the master says, no, let them grow up together because you're going to tear up the tender roots and everything. Let them grow up together. And at the end of the age, whenever he comes, he's going to separate the wheat from the weeds, from the tares. They may look alike in this world. They may have a lot of similarities. You may have a hard time telling them apart. But at the end of the age, God will come and he'll separate those. Here, Peter, uh, not Peter, um, John is saying the same thing. When Jesus comes, he is going to bring a separation. He is going to separate those who bear true fruit from those who are just chaff, who are going to fall away and be burned with unquenchable fire. Now, now let's think back. John was the forerunner who came. John did not point to himself, but he pointed to Jesus. That's what we need to be like. We don't point to ourselves. We don't take credit for our own ministry. No, we point to Jesus. That is our mission. 
the last thing we say in our mission to have Christ at the center of all we do. It's about Him. It's not about us. We are not worthy to carry His sandal. We need to have the attitude that John had. It's all about Him. And it's not about us. Second, we need to have what John was preaching back then. We need to live repentant lives. Now, repentance, you don't just repent to get saved. We do. When we, when we come to Christ, of course, we're turning a 180. But uh, repentance is meant to be a lifestyle. It is every day, one day at a time, choosing to put one foot in front of the other and repent. Because we still, while we live this Christian life, we still have the flesh that we battle with every day. And we've got to repent against that. Um, Martin Luther, we sang uh, A Mighty Fortress is Our God earlier, and Martin Luther, he, he wrote his, the 95 Thesis and started the Protestant Reformation and everything. The very first one of the 95 Theses is to say uh, that, that uh, repentance is supposed to be an act of everyday life and not just a one-time thing. It's not just a matter of, of doing penance like the Roman Catholic Church taught at the time, but instead it's a lifestyle of every day waking up and repenting of the things that are sinful in our lives and moving forward and following Christ. So, we need to put those words into practice that John preached, repent. Every day remind ourselves the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Life and death are on the line. For people around us, and also for ourselves, we keep repenting. It's not like we just repent whenever we get saved and then we just go on back living however we wanted to. No, every day we repent. We turn away from our sins and we keep on following Jesus. Third, we got to remember just because we grew up in a culture that was Christian, just because we lived in a Christian family, just because of any of those things, we cannot presume upon any of those things. We look at our fruit. Now, we're not saved by our fruit. We're saved by faith in Jesus, trusting in Him, trusting that His death paid for our sins. But our fruit is what naturally results from being saved. And if we want to know, are we really saved? We look at our fruit. Because if we really are saved, it's going to naturally produce good fruit. Finally, one day, just like John said, Jesus is going to come and He's going to separate the wheat from the chaff. One of these days, He is going to come with judgment, with fire, and it will be too late. So, we know we live in a reality that, we, that, that judgment is one day coming and we need to look to Christ and we need to proclaim that judgment is coming and we need to call out to people to tell them, trust in Christ. 
He is the way. He is our refuge from the storm that is coming upon us. Look to Jesus. Thank you for listening to this message from Redeemer Baptist Church of Panama. For more information, please visit us at RedeemerBaptistPanama.com or you can like us on Facebook.